Good afternoon and welcome to Inside Redeemer with Jerry Wilbanks. Today is March 13, 2013. Today's midweek Lenten service, titled The Judged Lord, is being broadcast from inside the Redeemer Lutheran Church located at 5700 Lawndale Street in Houston, Texas. The Reverend Grant Housewright will deliver the Holy Gospel for today. Pastor Grant and Nancy Housewright will deliver the Lenten service dialogue and Henry Fabian will deliver the scripture readings. Our Sunday worship services begin at 10.30 a.m. I'm glad to see everyone here today. Glad you're here. I wanted to uh, welcome you on this uh, wonderful Wednesday that we get a chance to get together because sometimes it's uh, quite a distance between Sundays and it's nice to have this time together midweek. We're going to begin our time together in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, uh, well, so I guess we'll make a, an announcement that uh, Pastor Putman will be moved tomorrow to Tuscany Rehab Center, which is in uh, Pearland, which is really great for his wife, Paula, so she can be closer to him rather than go all the way to the medical center and coming home at night. And uh, also, as I told the council last night, Laura Fack lost her, uh, her sister passed away Monday, and she was 98, uh, I believe, and then the, the funeral is, uh, I think it's either, I think it's tomorrow at, uh, in LaGrange, and the former pastor, the retired pastor from St. Paul's in LaGrange will be doing the service, who, by the way, is Willie May Cherry's nephew. Holy God, in eternity past, you saw your willful fall into sin and the misery and death it brought upon us. Yet you loved us as the crown of your creation and sent your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, your faithful servant, to be our Savior. Though he is the judge of the universe, he humbled himself to be condemned and crucified for sinful men, becoming for the whole world the judged Lord. Grant that by faith through holy baptism we be joined to him in his condemnation, crucifixion, and resurrection, and thus be saved eternally to all your glory. In the name of Jesus we pray, one God with you and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Old Testament reading is from Isaiah 53. He was oppressed... And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and then made his grave with the wicked? And with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Epistle reading is from 1 Peter 3. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you 
for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which, that is, eight persons were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel for this day is written in the gospel according to St. Matthew in the 27th chapter. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. When he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave them no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now, at the feast... Of the governor. Now, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. And so when they gathered, Pilate said to him, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to him, Which of the two, to them I mean, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, What? Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning... He took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. And then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Grace and peace be to you from God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask that the Holy Spirit today and always will lead us and guide us as we continue our journey together this Lent. Amen. Well, good morning, my friend. I've never seen you here at the dog park before. 
When did you get the new Chihuahua? Oh, it's not my dog, Pastor. It's Isabel's. Just before she went in the hospital, she rescued this little girl from the pound. I don't even like dogs. Here I am walking him. Part of your Latin discipline. Might as well be. To me, it feels more like suffering than sitting on the park bench on a cold, windy day. Or being cooped up in a library on a beautiful day. That Isabel is a slave driver. Really? Walking a dog? Slavery? Well, I guess you're right. It's not really that much of a burden compared to the sufferings of Jesus, is it? After what he did for me, I guess I can put up with a minor irritation of dog sitting for a friend. You know, being treated as a slave is exactly what Jesus uh, did go through. How do you mean? Well, take the words of Isaiah 53, verse 7. Hold on, Pastor. I got it right here in my pocket Bible. Just hang on a minute. Okay, shoot. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. I'm guessing some allusion to slavery is hiding in there. Oh, you'd be right, Izzy. You would be right, my friend. That word, oppressed, describes the treatment. He also represents enslaved Israel. Even as the Israelites suffered as slaves of, uh, as slaves of Egypt, so Jesus suffers as a slave, so we don't have to. Okay, but Israel wasn't exactly innocent. No, Israel was not innocent. innocent. If one thing characterized Israel, it was complaining. They complained about their bondage in Egypt. They complained after Moses let them out of bondage. They complained when they had food. They complained when they didn't have any food. They complained when they had the opportunity to inherit their new land. They were a pretty ungrateful lot. Like me sometimes. Sinful, ungrateful, idolatrous, unbelieving. That was Israel. But that's us too. No matter how wonderfully Yahweh blesses us, we still complain. But with Jesus, the Bible tells us, was tempted in so many ways, just as we are, yet without sin. That word afflicted here in Isaiah, ana, means Jesus humbly submitted himself without the slightest complaint. He actively allowed his own mistreatment as a slave in order to spare you and me. Isaiah says he didn't even open his mouth. That sounds like what I've read in the New Testament. Arrested and dragged before Cyphus, the Bible says, Jesus remained silent. And then accused by the priest before Pontius Pilate, he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge. Uh What? Well, I just remembered that when I was a teacher, I'd sometimes catch a couple of kids doing something wrong. Usually the one defending himself the loudest and talking the fastest was the guilty one. But it's not just kids. We adults do the same thing. We defend ourselves even when we've done wrong. If we're accused of a crime, we're willing to pay every dime we can get our hands on to hire a lawyer to prove our innocence, even if we aren't innocent. But Jesus was silent. Oh, yes, he was silent. Silent because he was innocent. And because if Jesus did defend himself and come up with the facts that proved his innocence, Pilate would have set him free. 
Jesus could, have, could not have let that happen. So he opened on his mouth. Do you know what that means in Hebrew? Look, Pastor, I didn't know Hebrew last week. You said that before you asked me, and I certainly don't know it this week. Well, sorry, I meant that rhetorically. The Hebrew for open not his mouth literally means his tongue was tied or bound. And not that Jesus stammered or that he was a mute or anything, mute or anything like that, but that his purpose in coming to earth bound him to keep silent. He was compelled within himself to say nothing that would prevent him from going to the cross. That reminds me of something I read about the charges Pontius Pilate wrote on the inscription the soldiers nailed to the cross above Jesus' head. It said, This is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The priests didn't like it, but if they disputed the charges and said he was not the King of the Jews, then Pilate would let Jesus go, and they wanted him crucified. That wouldn't do at all. And Jesus' disciples believed he was the king of the Jews, so they couldn't say anything either. If they said he wasn't, they'd be denying their faith. Well, right you are. So, in a way, everyone was bound to keep silent, and Jesus quietly went to the cross. Like a lamb. Yes, like a lamb. But I wonder... If you've noticed that uh, two different words are used for lamb. I hadn't, but now that you mention it, there's lamb and there's sheep. Any special reason for the two different words? I'm thinking there is. Take that word lamb. In Hebrew, it's not really precise. It's say, S-E-H, meaning a small animal, a sheep or a goat. It could be either one. The other word for the sheep here is Rachel. In the uh, Western pronunciation, Rachel, Rachel, which means you. That's a female. And they didn't slaughter the females. They kept the females, of course, for stock and for wool. But this sheep, figuratively, an innocent ewe lamb, they slaughtered. Shouldn't that word be sacrificed? That's a good observation, my friend, but maybe, maybe it should be. But that's not the word Isaiah uses. John the Baptist speaks of Jesus in sacrificial terms. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he says at Jordan River after Jesus is baptized. Lambs, goats, bulls, these were all sacrificed for the sins of the people with great company and ceremony and pomp in the temple liturgy. But here, the word isn't the one used for sacrifice. What is the word? It's more like butcher, tabak. It's a word you, which uh, you'd use for an animal that you'd kill or you would eat, not one you'd offer to God in sacrifice. That makes it more of an expression of contempt, of utter contempt, and when applied to Jesus. Okay, then that would fit with the next verse, verse 8. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Now you've really opened things up here. These are almost contradictory words. Oppression, austere, uh, very likely means to restrain, restrain without protection. In other words, without due process of law. Isaiah is describing something illegal happening here. Butchering, murdering an innocent man. But on the other hand, judgment, mishpat, implies the righteous action 
in a, a court takes against someone found guilty. But Jesus wasn't actually found guilty, was he? No, he wasn't. Jesus went through trial after trial when he was arrested, but he wasn't convicted. At his first appearance before the governor, Pontius Pilate said, I don't find any guilt in this man. Pilate then sent Jesus to Herod, but Herod sent him back to Pilate. I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges, Herod said in a note to Pilate. And then, when Jesus stood again before Pilate, the governor announced his innocent three innocence three times more. Yet Pilate had Jesus crucified anyway. Condemned, but never convicted? Yes. What a total miscarriage of justice. But ironically, by this miscarriage of justice, Isaiah receives, or Israel, receives justice, as does the whole of sinful humanity. Jesus is judged to spare us judgment. And the people who perpetrated this miscarriage of justice had no idea that the slaughter of Jesus was actually their salvation and the salvation of the world. No, they didn't. They didn't have a clue. At the last trial of Jesus before Pilate, they cursed themselves with the blood of Jesus, not realizing that at the same time they were blessing themselves with it. I don't follow you, Pastor. Okay, remember now when Pilate Uh, What Pilate said when he washed his hands, he said, I am innocent of this man's blood. The crowd responded, let this blood be upon us and our children. And then Pilate turned Jesus over to be crucified. The irony here is that the crowd is taking responsibility for shedding the blood of Jesus, convicting themselves. But at the same time, at the same time, unless the blood of Jesus covers them and us, we are not saved. I see what you're driving at. They aren't aware of the double, the double meaning of those two words. Exactly, that's right. The crowd had no understanding of the significance of what they were saying. But eventually, some of them would. When did that happen? On the day of Pentecost. Oh, sure, I remember It's 50 days after the events of Holy Week. Jerusalem is filled with foreigners who have stayed over from Passover for the Pentecost harvest celebration. The Holy Spirit comes on the church and the apostles start preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. Everyone hears the gospel in his own language and some of those listening had been in the mob that crucified Jesus. And Peter tells them, God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. And when they hear they've crucified the Messiah whom they'd waited so long for, it says they're cut to the heart. Feeling terrible, they ask Peter, what shall we do? And he tells them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What an awful thing it would be to realize that you've killed You've butchered the Messiah. It wasn't just they who crucified Christ. We all have by our sins. Our sins nailed Jesus to the cross. Yeah, but we don't realize that until the Holy Spirit gives us the gift of faith. I know I didn't. Well, apart from faith, none of this makes any sense, of course. But as Isaiah predicted that 
when he said, As for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. So Isaiah looked ahead and foresaw that the generation that crucified Jesus had no idea that his death was for the transgressions of God's people, themselves and the whole world. Right. Now, here's something interesting. What you just read is different in my Bible. My Bible says, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. Oh, yes. That's uh, another possible way of translating the Hebrew. In your version, the irony is that no one would expect a dead man to have descendants. But Jesus didn't stay dead. He was raised from the dead, and all who believe in him now have become their descendants. So Jesus, crucified in our place but risen from the dead, has a really big family because millions of people believe in him. Yes, that means you and I are a part of that family. By faith, we too are descendants of Jesus. Oh, and speaking of families, shouldn't you get the chihuahua back to her, uh, back on her leash? She's looking entirely too interested in that dachshund over there. Oh, no, if walking one chihuahua is suffering, just imagine walking a whole family of them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your silent submission to slavery and to the cross, it wins freedom from sin and death for all of us. So we ask that you would uh, make us thankful and humble hearts. Give us these kinds of hearts that we are willing to do whatever you ask us to do in the kingdom that you died to save. We pray everything in your name. Amen.